Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So, since Advent is a season of waiting, today we're going to look at the story of someone who is all too painfully familiar with waiting. And it's the story of Hannah. Um, as we read about Hannah, we read about her in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read First Sam- from 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to invite Katie up to read this passage for us. And, and as she's coming up, let me give us a little background here. You can come right up. Um, so Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah has another wife named Penina. Um, and, uh, but Hannah's the favored wife, right? And he gives Hannah extra meat to to show her his love for her. But there's one thing that Hannah wants more than anything, and that is to bear a child. But Hannah's barren, and she cannot have children. Panina, on the other hand, has children. She has several children, and she's constantly, constantly rubbing it in, taunting Hannah Hannah and provoking her. Um, You see, Panina was undoubtedly jealous that Hannah was the favored wife, and so she made it her life mission to make Hannah's life miserable, as miserable as possible. Now, once a year, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina would go to a place called Shiloh, and they would make a sacrifice at the temple. And that is where we're going to pick up on our story today. Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Thanks, Katie. So here we have a woman who is distraught, right? Because she wants more than anything to have a child and she can't. And just to put some things in historical perspective here, right? Having children was a woman's honor in this time and in this culture, right? If you were a woman, you couldn't start a foundation. You couldn't run for office. You couldn't be a CEO. But you could do something very special, and that was you could bear children. And this was your honor, right? And it was also your social security, Because if your husband died or left, you would have had little means uh, to support yourself. And so for Hannah, her children, and especially if she were to have sons, these would be all of these things for her, right? Her honor, her support, her future. Um, uh, But it was also something more for Hannah. It was the deep desire of her heart. So while they're at temple, um, Hannah pours out her heart to God. She's weeping. Her prayers are so heartfelt, so intimate, so holy, that they're, she's not even giving them voice, right? 
The scripture says that her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, the priest, thought she's drunk. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer before? A prayer so intimate, so heartfelt, so holy, you had to whisper it. I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time that Hannah is praying this prayer. This is not the first time she's prayed this prayer. This is a prayer that has been growing in her over a period of time, probably years, maybe even many years. This is a persevering prayer. This is a prayer that has been formed and shaped by waiting. So let's talk about waiting this morning. We're always waiting, aren't we? We're always waiting on something. It's part of life. And it's part of life because we are immersed in this thing called time, right? We're immersed in time. Uh, Time means that there is a process to everything, right? This is part of God's design for the universe. There's a process to everything. We often think of time as our enemy, don't we? But time is actually God's invention. And it's something that he uses in each of our lives for good. It's part of how he forms us. It's part of how he grows us. Think about an infant. Time allows the infant to grow. That's a good thing. Think about a seed. Time is a seed's friend. In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon says, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Now, can God intervene and bring an instantaneous solution to a problem? Um, He can. He has. And he sometimes does. And that, too, is a beautiful thing. But more often than not, God uses process. Perhaps God loves process. And he even, this is surprising, he even submits himself to process, right? And for proof of that, um, Jesus spent nine months in a womb. Anyone here ever broken a bone? Anyone? I have. Anyone else? Yeah. So you had to wait for that bone to heal, right? Maybe you have a miraculous story of intervention. I'd love to hear it. uh, um, But um, most of us have had to wait for our bones to heal, right? Has anyone here ever applied for a job or auditioned for a performance? You had to wait to to get the interview if you're, see if you're going to get an interview. You had to wait for a callback, see if you're going to get a callback, right? When I was little, I remember waiting with great excitement for that magical first snowfall of the year. Um, And then, of course, so many of us are very familiar with the desperate waiting that comes around late February, March, into April as we're waiting for those first warm days of spring. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is something that you're waiting for? Can you think of something that you're waiting for? I'd be curious what would be the first thing that comes to mind, even if it's just a very little thing. I think it's safe to say that all of us are probably waiting for something, right? And then there's the bigger things that we're waiting for, right? Like it could be a sense of direction for our life. Or, or we're waiting for a time in our life when we're, we're going to have work that feels purposeful. Or maybe we're waiting for someone to call a really good friend. Maybe we're just waiting for our hearts to stop hurting after a loss. Or maybe we're struggling in our faith and we're waiting for God to show up and reveal himself to us. 
I'd like to, to share something that, um, that I spent many years waiting for. Um, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire. I um, had a strong sense of home growing up. I'm kind of a small town girl. Um, but then as one does, I, I left. I left home. I went to college. Uh, I, I went to college in the New York City area. I lived in France for a year in Dijon. I lived in rural Virginia for a year, and um, I spent almost 10 years in, in various parts of the Boston area. And there were aspects of all of those places that I really enjoyed living, uh, that I just enjoyed about living there. But underneath it all, I always felt displaced. I always felt rootless. Um, sometimes I even kind of felt like I was in exile. I never, like felt completely at home. And you know what I came to realize? I came to realize that for me, being settled and rooted in a place that I love is, is important to me. It's really important to me. And it took me a long time to clarify this in my mind, but I eventually came to realize at some point that, that that's even more important to me than career. You know, I always thought that you're supposed to follow your career and go where it leads. Or maybe that God would call you to live in a really hard place. And sometimes he does do that, right? Um, but if he's not doing that, that doesn't mean you have to do that, right? Um, and so in my, for, in my longing for a sense of home, I, 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 I came to realize that, that I know, and I realized that there is some privilege involved here, that not everyone is in that place. But I, 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 I realized that I, I could choose where I wanted to live and trust that when it comes to career, that God would meaningfully provide. Now, um, it took a long time of waiting and praying into that dream, but eventually an unexpected door opened, um, and I followed my heart to the place that had always felt the most like home to me, even though I had never lived here. I'd only visited, and that was Vermont. And at some point, somewhere within the first two years, not right away, but somewhere within the first two years or so, I realized... I'm no longer longing for home because I am home. So this is a big question, but I want to ask you, what is something that you're waiting for that's ongoing? A deeper current, perhaps, underneath the sort of surface waitings or the smaller waitings. You know, just like the ocean has currents underneath the surface that you can't see, um, often our deeper waitings are hidden. But I think it's good for us to pay attention to those deeper waitings because it just might be where God wants to meet us. And sometimes we're waiting for something that we're actually not looking forward to, right? But perhaps the invitation there is to wait for how God's faithfulness is going to show up for us in that thing that we're not looking forward to. Now, there are many approaches to waiting, but I want to submit to you two. So here are two possible approaches to waiting. One is that we can be stewards of our waiting, right? Just like we can be stewards of our time and our resources, we can actually steward our waiting, or we can be distracted in our waiting, right? Here's what being a steward of waiting looks like, I think. I think it looks like to be active in your waiting, to inhabit you're waiting intentionally, and to be open to what God is doing in and during this season of waiting in your life. Alternatively, we can allow ourselves to be distracted uh, in our waiting, in a sense, from our waiting, um, which is a way of numbing the pain of waiting, right? Uh, this is not an active approach. This is a passive approach, right? Here's the thing. 
When we avoid entering into the work of waiting, we run the risk of missing out on the gifts that God has for us. Gifts that only come out of the experience of waiting. Now, I believe that Hannah has something to show us about what it looks like to wait well. So very briefly, I want to explore three of those things with you this morning. So Hannah is at the temple weeping. She's distraught, right? Do you notice that she does not pretend to have it all together? Hannah does not pretend to have it all together. She doesn't hold back her tears. She allows her tears not just to flow, but to become her prayer. She allows her tears to become her prayer. And there is nothing so honest as tears. And that's the first thing that I want us to notice about Hannah, and that is that she is honest, right? Hannah is honest with her heart, and she is honest with God. Now, she isn't pretending life is easy. She isn't pretending everything is fine, right? Things are not fine. Life is not good right now for Hannah. And she is bringing all of this before God. When we enter into the work of waiting, this puts us in touch with our hearts, right, too. And that's not easy. There's pain in waiting, just like there's pain in labor. Sometimes we're dancing on the surface of our waiting. We're dancing on the surface of our hearts. But eventually the time comes when we have to decide whether we're going to stay on the surface or, uh, and, and avoid the work of waiting, um, or whether we're going to enter into the work of waiting, which involves being in touch with our hearts. And for Hannah, that moment comes at the temple, right? She's bringing a sacrifice to God with her, with her family, right? Uh, probably an animal that's going to be slaughtered. But how can she bring a sacrificial animal to God and not with it bring the sacrifice of her broken heart, right? Which is, of course, the greater sacrifice, Uh, King David says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a contrite heart and a broken heart. Anyone here heard of Scott Erickson? I think Ian Ian showed us an image of his. He's also known as Scott the Painter. Um, He has a a book called Honest Advent. It's an Advent devotional. Um, And he says this, in some mysterious way, the center of our being has always been the doorway to connecting with God. Let me say that again. In some mysterious way, the center of our being, in other words, our heart, has always been the doorway to connecting with God. You know, we can't connect with God and at the same time be estranged from our hearts. Connecting with God actually requires us to be honest with our hearts. And like for Hannah, when we're honest with our hearts, we shouldn't be too surprised when tears come. Um, Richard Foster, in his wonderful book on prayer, says this, Tears are God's way of helping us descend with the mind into the heart. I love the preposition there, with. Do you notice he doesn't say to descend from the mind, leaving it behind and moving toward the heart? No, he says to descend into the heart with the mind. So Hannah is showing us the beauty of a heart that is honest with itself and honest with God. And so that's my first point here. In her waiting, Hannah is honest with her heart and honest with God. And in our waiting, 
We're invited to be honest with our own hearts, which is the first step of being honest with God. So the second point that I want to make here is that Hannah inhabits her weakness. She's not afraid to come to God in her weakness, right? He answers her in her weakness with his strength. Let me just summarize for you the rest of Hannah's story. So God hears Hannah's prayer. She goes home with her husband. About nine months later, she gives birth to a child, and that child is Samuel. And after two years of raising Samuel, she dedicates him to the Lord. She actually has him raised in the temple. Um, And he becomes a great prophet, the prophet Samuel. And she records her joy and all that God has done for her in a song. And you can read that song in chapter 2. And we're going to read a few verses from that song. So I'm going to invite Katie up and we're going to read a few verses from this song. And, And I've underlined a few of the verses because I want us to notice what they say about strength. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy, from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. No one will succeed by strength alone. Thanks, Katie. So one of the themes here that we see is that the low are raised up, right? And the powerful are brought down. And this is Hannah's story, isn't it? Right? She's not powerful. As a woman who couldn't bear children, she wore an invisible cloak of dishonor in her society. But she is given a great honor. Uh, Not only of having a child, but having a child who would one day become a great prophet. But what I really want us to notice in this passage here is what this song of Hannah's says about strength. When you look at these verses, what do you notice about where strength comes from? Where does strength come from? Could it be that strength is not something we muster? Could it be instead that strength is something that is given to us from God? That it's a gift? If this is true, then maybe we don't just want to think about strength differently than we might otherwise think about it, but also weakness, right? Perhaps instead of thinking of weakness as a liability, What if weakness is an opportunity? What if weakness is an opportunity for God's strength to be experienced in our lives? And what if weakness is not something to hide, but to bring boldly and honestly before God so that we can let him turn it into strength? In the New Testament, Paul is experiencing what he calls a thorn in his flesh. It's some kind of a problem that just won't go away. And he calls on God to take it away from him. And here's what God says. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Hannah knew that well. 
Hannah had no power to change her family situation, but she cries out to God and God strengthens her. Do you notice the last line in the passage of her story uh, when she leaves the temple or actually just when she finishes praying and, and she finishes talking with Eli? Um, it says, then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. It's as though she's already beginning to experience the gift of God's strength even before her prayers answered. So what if the work of waiting involves not being afraid to inhabit our weakness? What if weakness is not something to run away from and avoid because it is precisely where God wants to meet us with his strength? The prophet Isaiah says this, strength will arise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will arise as we wait upon the Lord. So Hannah's story ends with the birth of a son who's raised in the temple, goes on to become a great prophet. But actually, that's not the end of the story. Because just over a thousand years later, in a little town called Bethlehem, a young woman named Mary gives birth to a son. And just like in Hannah's pregnancy, Mary's pregnancy is very unlikely. Mary's child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And and just like Hannah gives birth to a prophet, Mary gives birth to a prophet too. Although this prophet would be unlike any other prophet. And just like Hannah sings a song rejoicing in what God has done for her, so Mary sings a song about what God has done for her too. So let's just read a few verses of that song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, Mary says. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Does this sound familiar to you? (laughs) Mary and Hannah are singing in harmony. They're riffing on the same theme here. The lowly are raised up. The powerful are brought down. The humble are given a place of honor. The mighty one has done great things. If you have time later today, I encourage you to go back to 1 Samuel, read Hannah's song, and then go to Luke and read Mary's song and listen to the harmony. So Mary's song is a precursor, sorry, Hannah's song is a precursor to Mary's song. Hannah's story is a precursor to Mary's story. Hannah's story points the way to the Messiah. Hannah's story is prophetically preparing the way for Jesus. And what I want us to notice here in this bigger picture is that in her waiting, Hannah didn't just receive what she was waiting for, but more, more than what she was waiting for, far more than she ever could have imagined. And that's the third mark of of Hannah's waiting that I I, want to point out. God gave Hannah more than the sum total of what she was waiting for, more than the sum total. 
Her waiting produced more than the sum total of what she was waiting for. And I believe that this is true for us, right? When we enter into the work of waiting, uh, because we wait, uh, God, God is always doing something in our waiting, right? Something good, something deep, something beyond giving us what we're asking for, if he does indeed give that to us. Or he'll, we know he'll provide whether he gives what we're asking for as we ask for it or not, right? When the waiting is over, whether we receive precisely what we're waiting for or not, we will always receive something more, more than what we were waiting for. What, what, what does God want to give to you? And you're waiting on the thing that you're waiting for. I don't know. Maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe he wants to give you hope or trust or patience. Maybe the gift is teaching you how to pray in a new, in a new way. Maybe he's teaching you how to be a friend of silence in your waiting. Maybe in your waiting he's giving you a story, a testimony to his faithfulness that will be an encouragement and bear witness to him in the future. Maybe in your waiting what he's doing is he's teaching you to slow down. Maybe in your waiting he's calling you to a deeper kind of gratitude, a deeper kind of gratitude than you've ever experienced. Maybe in your waiting he's redefining your priorities entirely. Um, and maybe he's changing your perspective and giving you an eternal perspective. Whatever he's doing in your waiting, whatever the gifts that God has for you are, there's one gift that he has for all of us in our waiting, and that is the gift of himself. Right? You see, when we're waiting, he's with us. And as we come to know him more deeply in and because of our waiting, we begin to realize that all along, he's been waiting for us. He's been waiting for us to look up. He's been waiting for us to come to him in prayer and bring to him our honest hearts so that he can meet us there. He's been waiting for us to give up on our own strength so that we can come and rely on his strength, right? So question for you, what is the greater gift that God gave Hannah? Was it a son or was it the revelation of himself that she gained through having a son? Right? Of course, there's no answer to those things. They're inseparable. But do you see what I'm saying here? God gave Hannah a great gift, perhaps a gift uh, greater even than the one she asked for. And it was a personal and powerful and profound revelation of God. And he wants to do the same for us. God has something more for you than the sum total of what you're waiting for. He has gifts for you in the waiting, including the greatest gift of all, which is himself. But these gifts are not for those who avoid waiting who let distraction keep them from entering into the work of waiting, right? These gifts are for those who come to God in their waiting with an honest heart and trusting that God has something for them in the waiting. These gifts are for those who are not afraid to inhabit their weakness, knowing that in their weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And these gifts are for those who are willing to trust that God is actually up to something in the waiting, and that that something is good. So, friends, this Advent, may God sanctify our waiting. Let's pray.
Lord in heaven, you are the inventor of time. And you have ordained that we wait for many things. It's part of how you design the world, and it's part of how you are forming and growing us. Oh, Lord, help us to trust that this is for our good. Lord, would you forgive our impatience? We're beginning to see that you are doing something, something good in our waiting. Help us to trust that this is true. Lord, you see what each one of us is waiting for. Show us what it might look like. Not to numb ourselves with distraction, but to enter into the work of waiting like Hannah did, so that you might accomplish your good purposes for us in our waiting. Give us a picture of what it looks like to wait with trust and hope, inhabiting our weakness, being honest with ourselves, being honest with you. And we will see you strengthen us because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we will draw closer to you because that's what we're ultimately waiting for, O oh Lord, to see your hand move. Thank you that in your time you will provide for us as you see fit. And we can trust that because your heart for us is a heart of love. We are your children and you are our Father. And so meanwhile, O oh Lord, as we wait, grow in us what you want to grow in us. Cleanse us of what needs to be washed away in us. And deepen our capacity for your presence as we trust in you with hope this Advent. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.